Hey, welcome to our Father's house. We're so excited that you're here this morning for our uh, class on finances. I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> They're like, ah, we're leaving. <laughs> Although they've got plenty of wisdom about that too. Uh, this is Barry and Diane Nichols. Um, we're so excited, thrilled to have them back. If you were not here, they were here back in uh, the fall of 2021. So um, it's an honor to have them with us. Uh, Barry and Diane actually did me and Taylor's marriage counseling. Um, that's why we're perfect. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say that's why we're messed up, but we want to, no, they, uh, they, they helped us, they helped us greatly. Um, so I'm looking forward to this morning and all that the Lord is going to do. I just want to encourage you guys. Um, we will have a break. So the plan is to go from nine to noon. Um, we will have a break about, I told them somewhere around 1030 land. Okay. So Hold your uh, potty until then. And here's what we're going to do. <clears throat> There's going to be an opportunity for Q&A at the end, uh, towards the end, kind of the back half of this morning. Um, that will be available in this. Everybody look where I'm pointing in this back corner. There's that little black table in front of the twos and threes class. We'll have something over there for you to write any question you have. So if something pops up, if you already have a question, you can do this anonymously. That way you can just be open and transparent. That way they can get the question and just try to help uh, us navigate through things. Um, there's no way that they're going to get to everything that's on our hearts in just three hours. But I want to encourage you to give them your honor, your respect, your full attention. These people are gold. Um, truly have the utmost respect for Barry and Diane, a lot of love and honor in our hearts for them. It's a privilege to have them back with us, and I'm excited. So would you guys pray with me? Father, we just thank you for this morning. Lord, and we ask in the name of Jesus that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would flow this morning. God, would you open our hearts and our minds? Father, would you help us? This morning, Lord, by your grace, would you shower and cover this whole morning in your blood. Lord, we're asking for unity, for clarity, for unction. We pray, Father, for peace to fill our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that you would shift the trajectory of marriages this morning to go higher in you, farther in you, deeper in you. God, we want our uh, union to be a representation of your glory, of your kingdom. We want you to be seen. We want your gospel to be preached through the way we love and serve one another. Father, thank you for all that you're going to do this morning. We open our hearts wide to you and we ask Holy Spirit that you would work, that you would convict, that you would change, that you would cut, that you would encourage and comfort us in your truth and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here and we're so excited to be with you. We have a special love for this body and, um, of course, for Paul and Taylor as well, and we're thankful to be here. Our goal this morning is to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, not to tear down, not to preach at you. Honestly, we're not experts at this. We've been at it for a while, but we're definitely not experts at it. We haven't written the book. We're not here to sell anything. We're here for the purpose of building and strengthening marriages to the glory of God, and that's our heart's desire. So um, just to give you a little background, if you're not familiar, some of you have heard some of our story, but we came out of a lot of brokenness um, when we got married. The prospects, the odds were not greatly in our favor that we were going to do well. 
um, just because of the background that we came out of. And um, I'll let Diane share her story a little bit, and then I'll share mine, just so you have the background from which we started and tried to share with you some of the things that we believe that the Lord has shown us along the way that have helped us in our journey. Good morning, everybody. So, um, yeah, we're really, really happy to be here with you guys. And we really do believe that the Holy Spirit has some special things in mind. So we're looking forward to what that is. We don't know all that he wants to do. So, um, so my story is that um, my parents were divorced from the time I was really little. Um, I don't really remember exactly how old I was, but probably four. Um, was a really traumatic day in my life because I know my dad was at our house and then he was gone and then he was at our house and he was gone. And, but then one day we were in our living room and my mom and my dad were fighting and my sister and I, she's a year and a half older than I am. We are just clinging to our mom and crying. We were so upset with the fighting and my dad was demanding that my mom would give him the keys to the car. Well, it was our only car. And he wanted it because he wanted to go to his girlfriend. And he was leaving us. And my mom's like, I cannot give you the keys to the car. I have to take care of these kids. I have to get to the store. I have to go to work. You cannot have the car. Well, he's fighting with her for the car keys. And... In the middle of that's going on, and then all of a sudden, we hear this woman yelling outside. And then we hear this crash because of glass and glass breaking and glass shattering on the floor. And my dad's girlfriend had come to the house. She was outside demanding for him to come out and leave his family and go away with her. And she smashes her hand through the glass. And so then, of course, there's blood, there's glass broken, and then we're really freaking out and crying and just shaking and clinging to our mom. We don't know what to do. And my dad walks out of the house. And after that time, I saw my dad very little. He lived five minutes from us. And, um, but I never knew when he was going to come. I never knew if I'd see him on my birthday. Um, I remember one time in particular, my mom was like, your dad is coming called me. He wants to take you and your sister out. So I want you to get dressed up. I want you to look nice for your dad and just wait for him because he said he's coming. And I think she said a certain time. So we're sitting on the front porch. My friends are coming by like, hey, Diane, come on. We're going to go play kickball. You want to play? And I'm like, no, I'm waiting. I felt so important. I'm waiting for my dad. My dad wants to take me out. He's coming to get me. No, I'm not going to play with you. I'm sitting right here until he gets here because he's going to be here soon. An hour later, they come by. Hey, you're still here. You want to come play? No, my dad's running late, but he's coming to get me. I just felt like I had value now because my dad was coming. Well, I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited. My dad never came. It really broke my heart. And I carried that with me. And my dad, my mom did the best she could. And my mom honestly did an incredible job with me and my sister. Even though my mom was hardly ever home, 
she did an incredible job. There was a lot of dysfunction, let me tell you. <laughs> so much dysfunction in our home. But that's, that's what I grew up with. And wasn't really, I never felt nurtured or my mom did the best she could, like I said. But, you know, we just scrambled up. You know, we figured out what we were going to eat, and we ate it, and she was working all the time because she had to provide <laughs> food. She had to provide a house for us. My dad did not pay child support. So it was a very, very hard struggle for my mom to just keep a roof over her head. So, um, yeah, the whole, I just, I just felt like, I felt like an orphan. I had a home. I was thankful for it that I had a home. And I knew my mom loved me. And oddly, even though all the rejection from my dad, I knew that deep down, like he did love me, but for some reason he couldn't get his life together. And so I felt like when I would get with him, I could have a good time with him and I could keep a good relationship with him, even though I felt like I was abandoned by him at the same time. So I came out of that. That's, that's what I come from. So in our neighborhood behind us, the people that I would go hang out with a lot of times because, you know, who wants to be alone all the time? I mean, my sister and I didn't get along, so <laughs> that wasn't very good. And my mom was gone all the time, so I'd go over to the neighbors in the backyard. And just to say, I just want to give you a picture of my life because... The Lord truly gets all the glory. And I know, like, my story is not, like, the worst story in the world. You guys, I'm sure there's many people in this room. You come from so much brokenness, and it's way worse than, than mine. But God is such a beautiful, powerful redeemer. That one who barely scrambled up could be held married to an amazing man and have a healthy marriage and have seven healthy children who love the Lord. It is all to the glory of God. It's not because of how we were poured into. <laughs> Only by the Holy Spirit and through his word. So that's why I'm telling you this because I just want to really give God the glory. I want you to see. So in the, 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 the house where I would go and hang out with because there were people there. The husband and wife were home most of the time, but they were both drunk. And they had five boys. The only one who grew up with a pretty much sane mind and grew to his full stature was the oldest. And none of the, the other four boys didn't. They were stunted in their growth. They were stunted in their mental and emotional capacities. And my heart broke for them because they were given beer in their baby bottles. And I'd go over to their house, and there's maggots on the counter. The house is filthy, filthy, filthy. And I was asked to babysit a couple times, and the baby was hungry. And I'd go in the fridge, and there was nothing but beer. And I could tell because the color in the bottle, like the beer's in the bottle. And it was pathetic. Pathetic, pathetic. And this, 
that was that's that's kind of like my background and what the Lord saved me from at 12 we were invited to church and completely gave my life to the Lord everything turned around I knew that was not a house I could go to anymore and the Lord just beautifully set our life on the right path but just to say you know what our lack is no lack to him he comes into the brokenness, and he fills in all the cracks. <laughs> and he does a beautiful work. So praise God. Yes, my story, not nearly as dramatic. I was raised in an unbelieving home where our God was materialism and image and status and pleasure. And that's what we sought, and that's what we were raised to prize and to treasure. My parents had a marriage Thankfully, they stayed together their whole life, which was wonderful, but the marriage was largely without emotion and without um, true depth of feeling. And so I was, you know, kids are really intuitive, right? They, they, they know who you are. <laughs> this is the wonderful thing about having children. It's like, you can't put on an image. Your kids know what you are. They see you when you get up with bedhead. They see all of your, your quirkiness. They see who you are, and that's actually a beautiful thing for everybody um, involved. But I could see that, obviously, in my brothers. We could see through that with our parents. And when the Lord apprehended me when I was a teenager and began to draw me to himself, um, won't go into the, all of that story, but he just sovereignly snatched me up and said, you're mine, basically. And when I came out of that wilderness season, about a year and a half, of I didn't go to church, didn't have a Bible, none of that, just crying out to the Lord. He began to change me and take the twistedness in me, which was abundant, and straighten things out. And I met the first time I ever went to church as a believer. Um, when I walked in the door, Diane was on the stage as a young teenage girl worshiping with the youth pastor who was playing the piano and I was instantly spitten and have never gotten over it. Um, that's my story and that's really true. Um, but that's where we met at, at church there and we became youth group sweethearts and um, eventually obviously got married. Um, but we decided because of the brokenness and the deadness and just the, the overall sense of dissatisfaction, I find doing a lot of marital counseling that even a lot of believers in their marriage, there's an underlying dissatisfaction, a sense of this really isn't what I was hoping it was going to be. We're, we're slogging through. But in my heart of hearts, could I say I'm deliriously happy to be married I don't think so. I I get that sense a lot when I'm doing, and you might say, well, that's because people are coming for counseling, but it, but it really is a broad um, truth, I think, that even in the Christian church, that married believers, there's a sense of dissatisfaction in them because they feel like it's supposed to be something greater and more satisfying and more joyful than what it is. I find that low-key fever in a lot of marriages in the church. And so our heart in, in being here, again, 
is, is to build and to help and to bring hope and to tell our story of the things that the Lord has taught us. We're not experts. Paul's been trying to get me to write a book for a while here, but I'm like, dude, what am I going to say? That hasn't been said a thousand times. Um, so uh, anyway, he's still working hard on me, but now he's offering to write the most of it. So <laughs> we're, 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 we're getting somewhere. So I said, well, I'll fill in some gaps. You can, you can write. Um, but, but what was birthed in our heart in that time of, of seeing the brokenness of, of her life, which was really a train wreck, but the Lord, she didn't share the story, but the, the Lord met her as a teenager in a really powerful way. And I'll just give a little snippet because I think it's such a powerful story. There's a father hunger in everybody that wants to be fathered and loved and affirmed and know who their identity is. And she was crying out to the Lord. Like, even as a teenager, she worked job as soon as she could so she could buy her own clothes, her own toothpaste, her own shampoo. Um, so she was just crying out to the Lord one day in her room and just weeping and saying, God, I just want to have a daddy. I just want to have a daddy that will hold my hand and take me and buy me an ice cream cone. I just want to have a dad. And she's weeping. And the Holy Spirit came into the room and said to her, Diane, I'll be your dad. I'll be your dad. And I'll take care of you. And from that time on, literally, people thought she was a little crazy. She worked at Burger King and she walked there. But she would walk down the street and put out her hand like she was holding her father's hand, and she was. God was walking with her, and she would be singing. She's always sang worship, you know, comes out of her just naturally. But she would be singing and walking, and people would drive by and go, hey, crazy girl, because um, she's holding her hand out like she's holding somebody's hand and walking. And the Lord said, I'm going to take care of you. And when it was time to go to college, there was a couple in the church that approached her and said, hey, we feel like the Lord put on our heart to pay for your college. The father was fathering her. So here's, here's the reality. Every area of brokenness in us, every area of lack, God ultimately is the one who fills in what we so desperately long for in our heart and the longings that are unfulfilled in our hearts, even as married believers, the answer is not us giving you 12 principles on how to have a great marriage. It really isn't. They can be helpful. But the answer is the greater connection to your true father, to your true husband, to your true wife, to fulfill what he created us for. And he made it so that we can never be fully fulfilled in our marriage. Did you know that? As believers, like we think this is going to be the thing. If I just get married to the right person, my life is going to be so filled with joy and happiness. And the reality is it's not enough because none of us are enough. And when you look in the mirror, you realize, right, with me, you're not enough. Our story is that we were longing, even as teenagers, for something more than what we saw. I would hear the pastor preaching in the church, and he would make little cutting snippets at his wife. And I'm like, even as a teenage boy who had just come out of total worldliness, I'm like, 
dude, what are you doing? In the early days of Heart of the Father, um, in a married group, in a home, you, you know how the ladies gather and talk in a circle, and then the guys gather and talk in a circle. And so that's happening. And I'm standing in the circle with the guys talking, and I'm mostly listening because I'm an introvert by nature, and I'll, I'll chime in. If you, get me, if you push my buttons and get me fired up on things that matter, then, then I'll go all in. <laughs> but um, mostly I'm just chill to listen and, and see what's going on. And so the guys are talking, and they're talking about whatever, sports and going into, and then the conversation kind of shifts over to, hey, yeah, man, my, I'm, I'm really struggling. My wife, like, she, she doesn't have any conception of spending money like I think there's a money tree in her head and she thinks like there's just unlimited funds and she's going out and whatever and so the conversation started drifting in a negative way and it started to push my button a little bit and I said you know um question like why would you want to demean and tear down the greatest gift that God has given you in this life Say, I don't mind awkward. <laughs> that, that was super awkward. Everybody's like. <laughs> but, but you know what happened? At least in my presence, they never did that again. Um, that's not okay. What, 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 what are we doing? The Lord has something beautiful and powerful in marriage. But here's the reality for us as believers. We're not going to become expert at it ourselves. And the source of that is not in us. It's in God and in our connection with him. And if our connection with the Father is not solid and consistent and real and deep, then our marriage can't be solid and consistent and real and deep. He wants to demonstrate and live something through us. And so as teenagers, we made a pact together and actually shook hands on it and said, we're not going to have a marriage like that like what we've been raised in, like what we even see demonstrated in the church. We, we're, we were going to shoot for God's best and for his heart. And we made a pact there. We're not going to speak words that tear down and that demean each other to ourselves or to relatives or in conversation with other people. We're just not going to do that. Let's just agree on that right now. And I think you were 15 maybe when we made that pact. I was 17. We shook hands on it and said, Yes, Lord, we make this commitment now. Um, that has been huge um, for us, honestly, in our marriage. That was just one of the things. But that hunger, I believe, is in every heart. We, we want to have a marriage that is beautiful and fulfilling. The way that the world puts marriage out there is that this is the answer to your companionship, or not now, right? No, no don't need to get married. You just need to have sex. That's what you need. Um, but then you find out that's not fulfilling in itself, right? There's, there's a beauty. If God isn't filling something, this is the reality. If he isn't filling it, it's not going to be beautiful and satisfying. And that's why there's so much underlying dissatisfaction and disappointment. I find, and it breaks my heart, that there's a lot of disappointment in Christians about their marriage. They don't want to say it because it's... Super awkward, and it feels like it's a throwdown on their spouse, but it's actually a longing inside of their heart. And what that longing is telling us is 
we actually aren't really connected with the Lord in such a way that he can fill us and fill our spouse. And in the middle of that fullness that keeps flowing out, there's an overflow that happens that is beautiful. And then you go, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. The, the, the connection to the Lord is all important. And, and you will never have the marriage that he wants without that. Guaranteed. So on the whiteboard, I want to ask this question. If I get my lovely assistant. <laughs> what, what is the goal of marriage? You can give whatever comes to your mind. There, there are no wrong answers. Everybody's a winner. Everybody's going to get a ribbon. Um, <laughs> I want to be politically correct in today's culture. <laughs> there, there's no losers. Everybody's a winner. If you get a 50 on your test, that was wonderful. You did. <laughs> Glorify God. Okay, good. Keep coming. Okay, good. Holiness. Say again? Okay. I like that. <laughs> that. That is a real thing. He said raise godly children. Um, even in Christian culture today, that value has been demeaned greatly. And this, um, <laughs> Christian people, with our, our story having seven children, we got some of the funniest comments and looks by Christian people like, Dude, you're, you're, you're kind of crazy, aren't you? I've had people tell me, uh, you're, what are you thinking? You're, you're never going to be able to retire. Uh, 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 oh, yeah. Well, there's that. Uh, I, I, go, I got a lot. That, Don't you know what causes that yet? And so I learned to make my answer, yeah, and we enjoyed every minute of it. And then that's usually the end of that conversation. <laughs> they, they don't want to take it past that. So, um, but even with that, I can say that the reality is the connection with the Lord, the Lord Jesus, since he owns us, and since our marriage is supposed to be these things and the representation of Christ and the church, he wants to come in and invade our sex life too. Yes. He really does. Like He wants us to feel his pleasure in what he created. We didn't make that up. We weren't smart enough to make that up. God made it. Because there's a bond that happens, and this is the reason that the devil tries to um, twist sexuality into being just a pursuit of your own pleasure. Because God made it as a means of bonding and of clinging and of oneness that happens in, in that relationship that is exclusive and is covenant-based that builds continuous unity, and, and, and that is beautiful. But when you keep going around, you know, the old saying, in my, it's a little bit crass, but this was the saying when I was growing up, get a piece, right? And, and, and that's the reality of what happens in people. You get a piece, but a piece of you is broken off, and it's stuck to all kinds of different people. And you know what? Christians still, after decades, I know this from being in leadership and, and counseling them, there's still pieces that are stuck 
and they, they don't know what to do with it, and it's really hard. And the devil is a liar, and his plan is always for destruction. And God is the God of truth, and his plan is always for our good and for his glory. So, oh, they did amazing. I think they've been schooled here. So, <laughs> um, What about happiness? Okay. Complement each other. So, in other words, where you lack, they make up the gap. Okay, good. No, for real. Is happiness a, is, is happiness a goal of marriage? Yeah. Okay, it is. I think it is. <laughs> Bringing tongues together. <clears throat> I know now you've been schooled. <clears throat> um, yes. <clears throat> it's so good, though. Super powerful. I can testify to that. Yes. Multiply. Hey, if you've ever read the book of Song of Solomon, why do you think the Lord put that in the Bible? He put it in there for a reason, because he created love to be delightful. There's supposed to be a delight that comes. It's, it's not primarily duty. There's a longing, right? This is the Song of Solomon. The, these two words, I think, describe it. Longing, hurtful longing, you know, painful longing and delight. That's part of Multiply, yes. So there's primary goals and there's secondary goals, right? What is the, if I said which was the primary goal, what would you say? I'm, I'm choosing this. I'm choosing glorify God as the primary goal of marriage. Why do I say that? Because it's the primary goal of everything. <laughs> In the universe, right? Romans eleven thirty six for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. God created marriage to glorify him. So what does it mean to glorify? Okay. Yes, that's good. That's pretty much a textbook answer. I like that. Put his beauty on display. So God's goal in marriage, let me give you a couple other scriptures just so. All things have been created by him and for him. Colossians 1.16 and 1.18 says that Jesus is raised from the dead so that he might come to have first place in everything. The Father God has one agenda that he's running. Everything else is subjected to that agenda. And that agenda is to magnify the beauty, the worth, and the value of his son in everything that is done. He wants Jesus to be supremely exalted, supremely um, adored, supremely treasured, and bowed to in everything. That's the Father's agenda. So this is really easy. If you want to get on what God's blessing, do that. 
and ask the question. This is really true. Like, this simplifies life a lot as a believer. The one question test, okay? The one question test is, what is going to most highly exalt Jesus in this situation? I ask it all the time. In times of personal conflict, where there seems to be situations that are hard to resolve, and there's tension there. Ever been there? Um, if you've ever been in church leadership, you've been there a lot. Um <laughs> No amens from the front row. Uh, (laughs) But but here's the question to ask. Lord, how in this situation will you be most honored? And and usually the answer from heaven comes, humble yourself. (laughs) Go low. Don't defend your personal rights. Do what the Son of God did. When he was falsely accused, he was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and he laid down his life in sacrificial love. It's not the easy way, but it's the right way. Um, So everything was created, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So the glory of God is the reason why the whole universe was created, right? This, This theology is should be at the heart of the way that we think and live and um to the degree that it's not is to the degree that we're dysfunctional in what we were because we were created for this when scripture says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of god that's what it's talking about when i was a teenager the reality was i valued a candy bar more than i valued god i valued anything more than i valued god I valued a movie, anything, any stupid, fleeting, foolish pleasure, I valued more than God. And so by doing that, I'm declaring by my life, God's not valuable. He's actually, he sucks. What's valuable is for me to feel the way that I want to feel. It's for me to be satisfied at the moment. That's what's valuable. And that's the way I live my life. And And so the miracle of grace, when the Lord drew me to himself, like I had no illusions that I was a good person, and he chose me because he needed somebody on the team that was going to be able to get her done. Like I was as twisted as a pretzel. And, And the reality that broke on me as a young believer when he drew me to himself was, oh, God, I, I don't deserve anything i've spent my whole life shouting that you're worth nothing when i was created to shout that you're worth everything and i missed the whole point of my creation but now you're coming like you said to zacchaeus i'm going to your house today i'm like you are Yes, I'm coming to your house today. And when he came into my house, my reaction was the same as Zacchaeus. Oh, God, I'm such a stinking wretch and thief. My whole life is ridiculously tainted, and I've done everything wrong. He's like, that's where we need to start, right there. Perfect. Out of your weakness and out of your realization that you deserve absolutely nothing and you're finally realizing what you were created for. And this happened for me, not because I was in church. I never heard the gospel in my life. It's so crazy. The Lord just sovereignly drew me by this ridiculous statement that my mother, who wasn't living for the Lord, made 
one night when we're at the dinner table, and she says, Barry, you believe in God, don't you? Great gospel message, Mom. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I guess so. And when I said that, the Holy Spirit came on me like a cloud of electricity, and my life has never been the same since. I was, I, I was like, mm. I was like, what is happening? I literally, I'm 15 years old. My whole passion in life is to try to get girls and to go out and get drunk on the weekend and smoke weed. And, and I'm going up in my room and I'm looking at my records, my Bachman Turner Overdrive records and all this other stuff. For just, and I'm going, what's happening? And I had this sense that it was God, but I didn't have any experience with the Lord. And so after like a half hour of wandering around in circles up in my room, I came down and I said to my mom, I think I, think I need to get baptized or something. Because it's the only religious thing that I knew. I had a sense it was God, but I didn't know how to define it. And so I won't tell you the whole long story there, but she called a friend who was a Christian who had a pastor. <laughs> this is so crazy. My mom's not a Christian, but she's one who put it out there, and the Lord said, that's good enough for me. That sounds like the gospel to me. And you said yes, right? So I got you now, so come. And that, that's, that was my story. And uh, so she called the pastor over there. He came to the house, and then she said, well, do you mind? Her friend says, would you mind if I bring a couple of my friends over too to watch? I guess that Tuesday night. What in the world? So the pastor agrees to come. He comes over. He sits in my living room. I'm sitting on the couch. He explains the gospel to me. For the first time in my life, I ever heard the gospel. And he said, do you believe this? And I said, yeah, I do, but I don't know why. I really did say that. He goes, that's good. Let's take you out and baptize you. And so I got baptized. And my life was changed. And the Lord, because I was wrapped up in that peer group that all we wanted to do was get high, get drunk, or chase girls. Um, my dad, who promised me that he would not move again until we, I was out of high school. I was in 10th grade then because uh, I had moved six times growing up. He said, uh, sorry to tell you this, but I got this amazing promotion offered and um, we're moving to Connecticut. I said, you liar. <laughs> you told me we wouldn't move again. I guess this, this would be a career killer, like I have to take this job. And so we moved, and I thought at that moment I was the most miserable person on earth. I left my whole peer group. I left everything I knew, and I was moving out into the woods of Connecticut that I didn't like at all. But that's where he wooed me like the Hosea too. He said, I'm going to woo you in the wilderness, and I'm going to take out of your mouth the name of the Baals, and I'm going to put in you a true love for me, and I'm going to take all of the twisted and broken places out of you, and I'm going to open your eyes to see what life is supposed to be about. And he changed me forever, and we hooked up. We decided, hey, this is the way we got to go with our marriage. We just want for God to have his way. And so that's where we started. But the reality is, I think in Christian circles, we want to come and get the 10 points that are going to fix our marriage. I get this constantly in marital counseling. People come and sit on the couch in my office, and they usually come with lists like this. 
I had one lady come in here with three, both sides pages of all of her complaints against her husband. She sat down on my couch. I said, just put those away. <laughs> um, we're, we're not going to talk about your husband since he's not here. We're going to talk about you. And so uh, the upshot of that conversation, Paul, as you'll appreciate this, she, she, started, she cried, and um, I thought it went really well. <laughs> and she left and never came back to the church again. <laughs> uh, but because I thought it went well because I had told her the truth, and I tried to help her to see, like, what you're doing here is you're projecting, and actually the dissatisfaction in marriage and the disappointment in marriage among Christians comes largely from idolatry, which is making your spouse your idol. You're looking to them to be the sense of your satisfaction, of your fullness, and God never made marriage for that. He made it to be a picture that glorifies Him. He didn't make it to be our source of satisfaction and our source of joy and happiness. Ultimately, do I believe happiness should be on that list? I do. But it's a secondary thing. And if you don't have the primary thing right first, viewing the Lord as being the only one that can actually fulfill the deepest longings of your heart, you'll never fully be happy in your marriage. It's too much pressure for me to look at her and go, why aren't you making me happy? And there's a thousand reasons why she can't. And the same with me for her. Like, yeah, there's all kinds of dysfunction that we've learned about each other since we've been married. And there's all kinds of dealings of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we've taken on, and we'll share some of those with you guys if they can be helpful to you. But ultimately, until we establish this fact that our spouse cannot be the one that we look to to be the satisfier of our soul and the one that makes us truly happy and gives us security and purpose and identity, they can't do that because God didn't design them to do that. Luke 14. One of my very favorite passages in the gospel. I love Jesus so much. He is the most secure man that ever lived. When the crowds are thronging around him, Lo and behold, he does a reset. <laughs> because he's wanting hearts to be purified. And Jesus, I love the way that he does this. But look at this in Luke 14, 25 and 26. I know you're familiar with this story, but it's just so powerful to read. And this is to my point. Now, large crowds were going along with him. And he turned to them and said, <laughs> you're too large. We need to do a reset right now. <laughs> no, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, starting to get real now, and children, not children, and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. So the point of 
using that strong language, which I'm a fan of using strong language to awaken the heart. Why would he say you have to hate your wife, your children? We, we homeschooled all of our seven children from K through 12. So we know that there's a lot of idolatry in homeschool circles where the children become the idols of the home and they become the reason for existence and they become the identity of so many parents and it's ungodly. It's ungodly. Our passion, our treasure is not our family. As beautiful as it may be, it's the one who gave his life for us. Like, if we lose sight of the center, our marriage is never going to be rightly healthy. Our family will never be rightly healthy. And, and what I find in counseling all the time is people telling me the reason that things are bad because my spouse sucks, actually. I won't use that word, but um, they do. I've got all these pages of instances where they have failed. And I want you, brother elder, to fix them. That's your job. Fix them. Fix my husband or fix my wife. She's unresponsive to me. Fix her. She's messed up. Go to her. Rebuke her. Cast it out. Fix her. Give us the 10 reasons. Give us the seminar. Do something but fix it. And the, the reality is that's not where your fix comes from. If the loves are not in right alignment, which, what's the point of saying you have to hate? Now, we know Jesus doesn't mean hate because he commands us to love our wife. But the point is, compared to your love for me, it's like hate. Compared to your passion, is your treasure your wife or your children? If it is, you take away the possibility for that marriage ever being what God created it to be because you've got an idol in your heart. So many Christians, I find, they start out with the intention of, of being fulfilled in their marriage. And they, it's a worldly concept that marriage is the missing piece of the puzzle. And they're going to complete you. And they're going to, there is the complementary part. I, I agree that that is absolutely true. So many areas that my wife is so much better than me. And I, I need her. But ultimately, the goal, that's the wisdom of God, but the goal of marriage is that both partners make Christ their supreme love, supreme. It's not a close second. If you ever get confused on which one you love more, you're way, way off. There has to be Jesus. It's the treasure of my heart, my pursuit, my love, my passion, my all. I'm telling you the, the central key to having a fulfilled marriage as a believer. This is it. It's getting your loves in right order. And here's what happens. There's a trickle-down effect, right? There's trickle-down economics. There's trickle-down love in marriage where when the, when the passion for Jesus is actually in its right place, then that love overflows into your marriage and into your life. And it's powerful. And I can tell you, all of our kids... I, I, as far as I remember, she may, she may correct me. I know my wife remembers details better. Can any husband testify that your wife remembers the details better than you? Okay, so I'll put out that caveat. So if I say something that was untrue, she can pick it up later and 
So that wasn't quite right. So I, I, I've always hated those conversations on the way home after preaching when she says, you know, you, you know, baby, when you said such and such, that wasn't exactly how it happened. I'm like, dang it, I'll just call you up to tell the story then next time. Um, so if that happens today, she can go ahead and say it on the mic. It's all good. But I remember, you know, we're, we're physical touch people, so we've always hugged and kissed and embarrassed our kids in public. And, um, but, but they actually like it. And now that they're all adults, they've actually told us that even though that was a little bit embarrassing for us, that you would actually kiss in church. Um, I mean, yo, we weren't making out on the pew or nothing like that. But that, that, that you, would, you would kiss in church. But my son said this. He's 27, 28. I, I'm, I'm looking for confirmation. Somewhere in there. <clears throat> See, he was born in 94. So, so he'd be. Yeah, okay. There, there you go. Um, he said, I'm so glad that you loved each other the way you did because it made me know that I was safe and that you would never leave me. When we would hug in the kitchen, those little three, four, five-year-old kids would always get in between us and want to get in between and get in that love sandwich. Because it made them feel secure. If mom and dad love each other, then we're going to be loved and they're not going to leave us. That's a real thing for them to feel that. And so um, having Jesus as our goal and glorifying God in our marriage as the goal is all important. Let me read this statement from John Piper who has impacted me. I, I love John Piper because not that I agree with him on every single detail, but he's so God-centered. His theology is so God-centered. It has shaped me in a lot of ways, and so I love it. Marriage exists to magnify the truth and worth and beauty and greatness of God. I don't think that our love for our wives or theirs for us will glorify God until it flows from a heart that delights in God more than in the marriage. Marriage will be preserved for the glory of God and shaped for the glory of God when the glory of God is more precious to us than our marriage. That is so good. So good. Keep the main thing, the main thing. How are we doing on time? You want to say something, baby? Keep rambling. Well, I just... I don't know if I should interject this at this point or not, but um, I think sometimes it can be a little bit confusing, you know, thinking about, okay, it's all, you know, about the glory of God, and it absolutely, absolutely is. Sometimes the way the Lord thinks about things can be different than the way we think about things. So we could think about that and think, okay, so... The most important thing is just really for me to get as close to God as I possibly can and just to like to make sure I'm spending that time with the Lord and I'm spending that time with prayer, and we absolutely need to do that. But um, just recently I heard this story, and I just think it's just, um, it's very fitting, like in talking about this, because it was um, Julie Slattery, actually. I don't know if you have heard of her. 
um, but she's a clinical like psychologist. She does counseling, but she's also written um, a lot of really good books, and um, she helps a lot of women in the issue of intimacy. And she said one night she was praying for the Lord, or she had been praying for the Lord to really take her deeper in her faith. Like, God, I just want to know you. I just want to get close to you. So she's downstairs after the put their um, boys to bed, and she said every night she would just open up her word, and she's studying, and she's praying, and she's worshiping. She said and one night during her devotions, the Lord spoke to her to go upstairs and be intimate with her husband. And she said she argued with the Lord a little bit, and she was like, wait, God, Leviticus is so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She said, I honestly would have been more excited had the Lord told me that he wanted me to go on a missions trip. But her going deeper with the Lord was interconnected and intertwined with her giving herself to her husband and loving him in that deep, knowing way. You know, in intimacy, there's a deep knowing. You know everything. I know all Barry's flaws. He had, no, I don't know all of them. I know, I know a good amount of them. He's, to me, no, like, honestly, like, what? He's an amazing man. Um, But I do know, like, what his weakness, I know what triggers him. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he, he, had, he had open heart surgery I know his scar you know what he knows all of my flaws he knows my weaknesses he knows my stretch marks he knows everything Like he knows everything about me and he loves me and in that you know the, that sexual intimacy when it says that Adam knew Eve there's a, he knew her you know your husband and you know your wife like no one else can. And there is a beautiful depth there that is so healing to our souls. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful time. And the Lord really means for it to be so much more. It's not, we, and we all know, everyone in this room, like we know, right? It's, it's, it's not about the sexual and the physical gratification of it. There is something that is, goes so, so, so far deeper in that beautiful time of intimacy. But, yeah, so she's like, the Lord told me, like, this is what I want you to focus on, like really giving yourself to your husband because you want to do anything but. Yeah, you want to get closer to me, but, like, I'm asking you to do this. With God, he, he just, I love the way... Um, You know, his thoughts, the Bible says, are so much higher than ours. You know, we can think, go deeper with God, pray, study, fasting. Sorry, honey, I'm fasting. Like, you know, but no, he might actually say, no, the way up is down. Lay your life down. Lay your life down and serve. Be a servant lover. So, Are you glad you came, guys? (laughs) Um, So good, yes. That, that was a great segue into what I want to talk about in Ephesians 5 here. So let's look at Ephesians 5. How do we glorify God in our marriage? 
And I want to start above where we usually do. I think most all of us have read Ephesians 5 a lot. Um, I know I've done a number of weddings, and I almost always use Ephesians 5. It's so powerful. But let's start. You, You know that in the original manuscripts, there were no verses or chapter divisions uh, really until the 1500s, right? So this this is put in for a point of reference. But I want you to follow with me the flow of thought of Paul, the stream of consciousness, as they would say. He's going from one thing to the next. But I want to start at verse 18 instead of where we usually start at verse 22. And let's look at how we glorify God in our marriage as a husband and as a wife. So verse 18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, meaning you're out of control, flesh, but be filled with the Spirit. And so, as a lot of you probably know, the word filled there is a continuous, it's a commandment, it's a plural, everybody constantly be being filled with the Holy Spirit is is what that's saying, and it's just powerful. This is not a one-time thing that happens in revival. This is what is supposed to happen every day. Be constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit because without Him, you're just a glove without a hand. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the manifestation of being filled with the Holy Spirit? The rest of this chapter, I will submit to you. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Yes, Lord, worship. Yes, Lord, exhortation. Yes, Lord, encouragement. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks for all things. So I want to submit to you that Being spirit-filled in your marriage is not just being spirit-filled believers separately, but being spirit-filled in your marriage. And part of that has to do with giving thanks and being grateful for your spouse. This is such a huge thing, being grateful. If you were here last time, I'm sure I shared this because to me, I feel like it's something the Lord showed me, the the black dot or the white page person. All right, so I hold up. Let's see if I have one here. I usually carry one with me. So I ask, what is this in premarital counseling? And most people answer, it's black dots on a white page. And I answer, why isn't a white page with a few black dots? So what percentage of this is black dots? And they're like, um, I don't know, maybe 1%, maybe. But most of it's white page. But here's what happens in marriage. We fixate on the black dots. And we go, you got dots. Baby, I hate to tell you this, but I've been praying. The Lord showed me you've got dots. (laughs) And I haven't looked in the mirror, obviously, because I look like chicken pox. (laughs) But I'm telling the Lord, and in my heart, I'm stewing over the fact, my wife's got dots. I married somebody with dots. My gosh, how are we going to have a marriage? And the Lord's like, no, little one, you have a lot of dots yourself. You look like a pretzel when I found you. We're still in the process of trying to straighten things out now after a long time. So 
what are we going to focus on is the question. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit in our marriage, we don't fixate on the things that need to be fixed. This is every marriage counseling session I ever remember having, and there's been a lot. They always come in with this. Brother, I hate to tell you this, but I don't think you really know my husband. <laughs> He's got so many black dots you can't imagine. I'm like, oh, I think I can. <laughs> but I always wonder by the end of the conversation, do you have any? <laughs> one lady said one time, and thank God he gave me the grace to bite my tongue. She said, no, I'm not saying that I'm perfect. And I wanted to say, I, I said in my head, well, I'm glad you clarified that because I was really starting to wonder if you were completely perfect and flawless and everything, and there actually was no dots on your page. But I didn't say that, so that was a victory for me of, of self-control, <clears throat> uh, for sure. But, but the reality is we, we all, all of us in this room, we married people with black dots, and we have them. We have our flaws. We have our weaknesses. We have our quirkiness, right? Are you quirky? Like, if you don't answer yes, then you're, you, you just don't know yourself. Everybody knows you, and your spouse especially knows the areas where you're quirky. And so, and some of them are irritating, and some of them are funny, and it's just the way that we are. And the Lord made us that way, and part of the beauty of marriage is we can glorify God by being grateful. In, this is a life changer, and I've recommended this to people that were in crisis in their marriage multiple times. This, this will change your life. Every day, right now, write down 10 things that you love and appreciate about your spouse. Okay, I'm not telling you to do it, but it wouldn't hurt you. Um, write down 10 things that you love and appreciate about your spouse. Every day, pray and thank God for those things and how he has blessed you with a spouse that you do not deserve. And every day, pick out one of those qualities and go to your spouse with genuine sincerity and say, you know what I love about you? I could start on the list, babe, but we wouldn't get done. Um, and just tell them, this is so beautiful, and I'm so grateful for that thing. Like, this would change the flavor of the marriage. The atmosphere that you create in your home and in your marriage is all important. It, it really is all about the atmosphere. So if we're going to have an atmosphere of being filled with the Holy Spirit, I hate to tell you this, but griping and criticizing is not a fruit of the Spirit. And it's not an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. An evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is being thankful. And this verse is really powerful because I know we change it, but we shouldn't. It says, always, 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 Always giving thanks for all things. That's a lot of giving thanks. If, if we would just do this one thing, it would be a game changer on a practical level. But this is part of, this passage is part of what it means to love and to glorify God in our marriage. It's to take our role. So just jump down to verse 32, if you will. I'm keeping an eye on my watch because I don't want to ramble too long, and I can do that. Um, I believe, honestly, I'll, I, I'm saying this honestly. I believe Diane has a word. She has the word of the Lord for, for you today. I believe that. 
So I want her to have whatever time she needs. Um, for me, I can just get triggered and keep going. But <laughs> verse 32 says, this mystery is great. When he's talking about marriage, and we're going to go back through briefly here in a minute. But I want you to catch this. The mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Really? So God created marriage. When he created marriage in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he pulled the rib out, and he said, here you go. And Adam said, wow. Uh, from that time, God's intention for marriage was, I'm going to make this to represent my son and his bride. This is going to glorify me. When this is lived out right, it's going to be a living picture and parable and play of what it's like to be in real relationship with Jesus. And the honest truth is, most people lie about Jesus in their marriage. Like, that's not what it's really like. No, it's not. So, so this is all important. So how do we get there? And, and in this passage, he describes our roles in the play. So if you've ever been in a play, and my daughter loves drama and all that, and every now and then she co-ops me to, to be in there, and so she tells me exactly what to do and to say it. Now, when you say it, use this kind of voice inflection. This is what your face should look like. Okay, there, there's a role that you play. And, and so for us, we have roles as a husband and as a wife. In order to glorify God, we do these things. And so to her point, our glorifying God is not just to go on a 30-day water fast or to go to 100 revival services or whatever that may be, but to glorify God in our marriage is about playing the role that we're supposed to play and demonstrating that that is beautiful to us, that we're in that role. So let's just read quickly, and I'm going to turn it over to you, babe, or maybe we take the break after. Okay. We'll take the break after I finish. Okay, so let's, let's, let's go down through there. We're talking about the spirit-filled life and how it flows into marriage. Always giving thanks. And then look at verse 21. I love this. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So one of the demonstrations or manifestations of a spirit-filled life, right, is being able to humble ourselves and submit to one another. It's not just about demanding the honor that's due to our holy name. Um, <clears throat> it's about being able to submit and humble ourselves. So I find that amazing because the very next verse, he's talking about wives being submissive to their husbands. But here's the thing. All of us are supposed to have a heart to take the low road and to bow. And here's what I know is true. In the body of Christ, from the lowliest to the greatest, there's a deposit of grace from Jesus Christ. And I have found that in my life, when the Lord wants to correct me, he's sent the most unlikely vessels to do it. And I'm like, really, Lord, you sent them? I thought I was going to get a call from somebody, you know? And no, it's the little lady who looks at me straight in the eye and says, do you know, are you sure that you're doing everything right that the Lord wants you to do? Because I feel like you're not. I've had I've had those kind of corrections and immediately I knew like this is the Lord correcting me and he wants me to bow. He wants me to bow to because I'm recognizing here's the thing. We're supposed to be looking for Jesus wherever we find him and he's all through his body. In the most dysfunctional people sometimes we'll have the word of the Lord. It's so crazy. 
and our children, 100%. Yeah, we think, no, I'm your dad. And I'm under, and they're like, they'll say something and be like, <laughs> Holy Spirit's like, no, actually, I'm speaking to you through them. You're not you to them. Um, that's a real thing. <clears throat> and so in our home, so for every husband would testify, even though he's the head of his wife, according to God's design, and that's beautiful. That's beautiful. <clears throat> that his wife often has the word of the Lord and that he needs to bow to that, right? That, that, that's just so real. Like, if you've been married very long, you, you should know that by now. <laughs> and if you don't, then that's probably one of the reasons why you're dissatisfied. Um, <laughs> so just saying it's important for us to take the low road and have a humble spirit. That, that's part of being spirit-filled is that we can, we can take correction. We're listening for God's correction in our lives, and we can submit ourselves to one another. Beautiful. So let's start verse 22. Wives. Be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. Take note of those kind of verses. There's lots of as and just as, which means that we're, in the, we're, we're playing a role in the play. You're, you be Jesus, and you be the bride. Just as Jesus did, you do. Just as the bride does, you do. So we're playing our role because we're trying to glorify God and show what it's like to be in union with Jesus himself. 22. Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. So, wives, you can pick out yours as we go. The husband has most of this responsibility, obviously, uh, as we read through this, which is super weighty. I tell in premarital counseling, look, all you got to do is lay down your life. It's really no big deal. Um, And you got this, you know. So... Uh, can, can we realize and acknowledge that this takes the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Okay, so, so we need to be spirit-filled people in our marriage. Um, the husband is the head of the wife, which is a very fearful thing. Um, as, so we're, we're only head as Christ is also head of his church. <laughs> Not in the way that we might project. He himself being the savior of the body. Notice how that's connected. So husband, we're the head. Yes, we have authority. Yes, we also have accountability, and we're going to have to give account before the tribunal of God where Jesus Christ examines our life and go, how did you steward that precious gift that I gave to you? And we're going, "Mm." did you use your authority for her benefit always? Because I gave my authority over my church And I used it to lay down my life for her to be her savior. Is that what you used your authority for in your marriage? Because that's the part that you're supposed to play in the play, to show what true submission and authority today. So many are hung up on that. Just define, what does that mean? You know, I get wives all the time. What what does it mean that I have to submit to my husband? Like, It means, guys, this is the truth. If, if we truly use our authority for the benefit of our wife and to be the savior of the body, to lay down our lives for them, submission will come automatically and joyfully. They'll be so happy to submit. Yeah. In our marriage of 40 years, um, I have never used the S word. Uh, <laughs> you submit to me, woman. God said, I'm the head. You do what I tell you. 
It doesn't work. No, he said, the Lord says, if you want to exercise my authority, you do it as I did it. And that is, I give myself for her benefit to be the Savior. So this, guys, we're talking about the role that we play. How do we glorify God? Ladies, we glorify God by, and, you know, you're going to see your one, you, you have like one line throughout the whole play, and that is, be submissive, be honoring, be respectful to your husband. That's like your one line. Okay, there, there's your line. <laughs> be respect. But the guys, ours is a little bit more involved. Okay, I'm giving you authority, and you use it to build up your wife and to lay down your life for her as the savior of the body but as the church is subject to christ so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything that's 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 weighty but that's prefaced by the husband doing it well now let me say this we are responsible as husbands and wives to do what jesus commanded us to do regardless of whether our spouse does it right or not so you can't say, <clears throat> as a husband, I would love my wife better if she'd submit to me. And you can't say, as a wife, I would submit to my husband if he'd actually love me. You can't say that. Because we unilaterally are responsible to obey what Jesus told us to do. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he enables us to do that well. There's lots of husbands who have been total nincompoops that have been changed and shaped because their wife has had a meek and quiet spirit. And the Holy Spirit works through that meek and quiet spirit and changes that husband. And Smith Wigglesworth, you know him, is a prime example where Polly, his dear wife, he forbid her to go to church because he was mad that she was always at the meetings and she wasn't at home taking, just doting over him and taking care of everything he wanted. So he forbid her to go, and she said, Now, Smith, you know, I love you, honey. I'll do anything for you, but you're not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord, and I am going to go to church because he commanded me to do that. And he said, Well, if you go, I'm going to lock you out. And she said, I hope you won't, but whatever you need to do. <laughs> she went that night, got home after the meeting. He'd locked her out. She slept on the front porch out in England. And in the morning when he came and opened the door, she jumped up and said, Good morning, darling. Can I cook you something for breakfast? And he was like, What? <laughs> he attributed his journey in God to his wife's graciousness to him and how it shaped him and the conviction. Don't think the Holy Spirit didn't use that like a shotgun blast. <laughs> you absolute idiot. What are you doing? Um, the Holy Spirit can speak like that. <laughs> so just saying, as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be their husbands and everything. 25, husbands love your wives just as... Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So as husbands, I think we should ask ourselves the question often, would my wife say, not what I say, would my wife say that I regularly lay down my own preferences and desires for her benefit? Would she say that I regularly prefer her needs above my own? Would she answer like that? because that's the way Jesus loves us. 
And so we have to ask the question, is this who I am? And am I playing the proper role? You know, sometimes we can get out of character. You've, you've heard of that phrase in, in dramas and movies and plays. Some of the complaints of people when books are getting made into movies is, oh, that, that person was out of character. That really wasn't the real character. Well, I, I think the Lord says sometimes, are you sure you read the same book? Because, <clears throat> like, the, the character that I'm talking about is, is this. This is the one who went to the cross and gave himself up for our sins, bore our sins in his body on the tree and became the savior of the body. He was the redeemer. He was the coverer of all of our sins and iniquities. Husbands, love your wife. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. And so Jesus gave himself for us in order to raise us up into the highest potential and destiny that he created us for, right? So as husbands, I know I won't get any amens from husbands on these passages, we ask ourselves, is that the way I'm loving my wife? Am I causing her to rise up into the fullness of her destiny and potential in God? I, I can tell you this, guys, without hammering this, um, it's not a throwdown on you. This is just the, this is the role that we're supposed to play to glorify God. If we love our wives in that way, and to the degree that we love our wives in that way, they will be so happy to submit to us because they know that we're going to use our authority for their benefit and not to dominate and not for our own selfishness. It's so powerful. And in that play, you don't have to insist on submission. You can't insist on submission anyway. It doesn't work. Submission has to be offered freely. And this is the way it's offered freely, is by loving in such a way that your wife feels so safe and so treasured that she's so happy to do that. It's beautiful. This takes away all the power struggle in marriage. Like submission should not even be a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. At the end of the day, if there's differences in opinion, and sometimes we've had that over the years, my wife very wisely uh, says to me, well, honey, whatever you decide, that's what we're going to do. But can we pray about it a little more? I'm, I'm not quite settled with it. But at the end of the day, when you make the decision, we're going to go with that. I'm like, doggone it. <laughs> Just let me make a decision, will you? Without getting the Holy Spirit involved? <laughs> and, and then I'm like, ah. Oh, I'm going to go back, all right, I'm going to go, all right, Lord, what, what am I missing here? Like, what's wrong with my heart? Uh, what is she seeing that's troubling her, that's making her send me back to you again? <laughs> it's a real thing. This is real life. No one, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. How do you love your own body? Husband, he who loves his wife loves himself. That's what we're talking about here. Guaranteed. If you love your wife well, husband, and you're rolling the play, she's going to be so happy. To, it will come back to you in spades. You will get such a return on the love that you pour out. Might not be immediately, especially if she thinks that you're trying to manipulate her. Well, how come you're changing all of a sudden now? What are you trying to get? Um... But when she sees that it's real, 
it will come back to you as an automatic reflect. Just like you want to love Jesus and worship him, like he's not making you do that. You, because of the overflow of love that you've received from him, it just has to come out. And you're so happy to do it. Um, verse 29. And then we're going to take a break. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. I, I love those words, nourish and cherish. Nourish is to, to feed, to give what she needs. Cherish is actually the Greek word for warm. And, and the picture of that word, I believe, is that he takes us to himself. And when we're frigid and cold, he warms us with his own body heat. There's such a beautiful picture of cherish. He lets us put our cold feet on him at night. <laughs> That's true love, brethren. Um, <clears throat> but he, he cherishes us. So, so for husbands, like we've got a pretty expansive role in the play. Um, but if we all play our role, the wife is typically the responder, right? We, we get that. Honestly, the majority of issues with sexuality in marriage are answered by the role issues here and how we play the role. Um, most wives, even if they're not um, physically excited about it, like a guy gets, um, they, they will be happy to respond to a heart that is ever moving toward them and drawing them into that warmth. That's really the truth. That it, if you love your wife, you are loving yourself. It's just on the rebound. And so let's play our role. We glorify God in our marriage by playing the role that he set out for us in this drama that we're living out every day as a living expression of the beauty of being in relationship with Jesus. All right, let's take a little break, and then we'll come back. Please write questions. Interactive is always better than not. And so if you guys have any questions, we'd love for you to write them down.